You're listening to TIP. Hey, everyone. Welcome to our Wednesday release of the show where we're talking about Bitcoin. A few weeks ago, we talked about Bitcoin borrowing and lending on a centralized platform like BlockFi with Zach Prince. Today, we're talking about the same subject matter, but we're talking about doing it in a peer-to-peer decentralized marketplace. My guest today is Max Keaton, and he's the founder of the borrowing and lending platform HODL HODL. Throughout the show, we talk about the differences that peer-to-peer lending might offer the market, how risk is managed when you're lending to a person you don't even know or have any idea what they're using the funds for, how this type of platform is riskier and also less riskier than centralized platforms, and what this might all mean for the future of finance. I learned a ton through this discussion, so sit back and enjoy this fascinating conversation on the new world of finance that's being constructed right before our eyes. You're listening to Bitcoin Fundamentals by The Investor's Podcast Network. Now for your host, Preston Pish. All right. So here I am with Max. Max, welcome to the show. Hey, Preston. Thank you for having me and us, our team as well. So uh, yeah, thank you very much. This is where I want to start, Max, is just really kind of the basics because I had Zach Prince here on the show a couple weeks ago. He's obviously talking about a much more centralized way of lending and borrowing. And you guys are going about this in a completely different way. You guys are going peer-to-peer and you're just providing the platform for two people to to come together and to lend and borrow. So talk us through what this really means and just give us the basics. We've launched a lending platform, which is called Lend at Hoddle Hoddle in October 2020. It's actually based on technology that we've been using for three years before that in our trading part, which is multisig, a Bitcoin multisig two out of three. So basically the multisig has, you can call it also an escrow. Let's call it like that. It's easier to understand, especially for non-technical people. So it's an escrow with three keys. Each key is distributed between the parties that are involved in this uh, specific contract, whether it's a trading contract or a lending contract. Let's let's talk about just lending part. It's peer-peer-to-peer. And uh, there are three keys. One key goes to the lender. One key goes to borrower and one key goes to platform, huddle, huddle. In case there is a dispute, we can engage in that dispute. We can understand who is uh, the right person, who is the wrong person. And uh, we can, together with another, with another party, we can allocate funds towards the winner. So basically, escrow works in a pretty simple way. You need two keys out of the three in order to release funds from that escrow. So it's basically, there's a game theory in that. So you need to reach a consensus in dispute, for example, in order to do something with, with these funds in this escrow. What does this mean? It's also called non-custodial. It means that HODL HODL itself cannot move your funds alone with our one key. And it also means that we don't have any hot wallet. Instead, as custodial services do, like BlockFi or, or any other custodial platform out there. So you're not effectively depositing your Bitcoin that you will use as a collateral to our system. You are effectively depositing it on the Bitcoin blockchain. The address is unique. It's generated each time for each lending contract. 
And why it's peer-to-peer? Because you can go uh, on our platform, you can post your own offer with your own terms, with your own interest rate, whether you want to borrow, whether you want to lend money. You just need to find a counterparty, which is also most of the time is just individual retail person. We already actually see some interest from institutional players that are approaching us as well, although it's only three months since the launch, a bit more. So, um, yeah, and that's why it's peer to peer. So basically, you're becoming effectively a lender or borrower, and you can become it on your own terms. So you can publish, for example, I'm ready to pay 10% interest. I need to borrow 50,000 worth of USDT or USDC or whatever. And I want to do it for, let's say, six months. And uh, you publish your offer, and it's purely peer to peer interaction. There's no central authority. And HODL HODL in that case only provides the technical tools for you to perform more all actions that you actually need to perform. So that's how it works. I'm curious how many times you guys have had to step in as the third party in a dispute to release funds. Has that happened since you guys have launched? Actually, we're lucky, but there wasn't any disputes yet on the lending platform. On the trading platform, uh, they are there because it's like a trading platform. There's, there's a higher frequency of trades. There's a higher frequency of different contracts. And people sometimes... There's also some kind of level of not very honest people on the platform, which is any peer-to-peer platform, they have this issue. So there should be a dispute resolution system, which we have in place. But most of the time, disputes are solved between two parties because there's, again, there's a game theory. One party doesn't want to leave Bitcoin on an escrow. Another party wants uh, to preserve reputation or whatever. There's always some kind of interest in that. So most of the time, we're actually not needed and we don't even co-sign this because they solve these issues between themselves. Let me ask you this. So... Most people that are accustomed to this decentralized finance, this DeFi, that most people, when they hear that, they immediately think Ethereum or Binance or whatever. How are they solving a dispute in escrow when the two parties can't come to an agreement that funds should be released? What's their method for doing that? I actually don't know. I know that some platforms are using the same approach that we have. So they have a key and they effectively try to solve the dispute and help. Well, they bring an arbiter in and they're trying to solve this dispute. Some contracts on Ethereum are, I wouldn't say they're, they're a bit more sophisticated, but they're a bit more difficult. So there, there's some kind of level of automation. So basically, if you perform A, B, C, D action, you will be able effectively pull out the escrow or it's something will be performed. So most of the time, there's some kind of level of automation to that which on the one hand is good. On the other hand, as we see from our experience, people always find a way to negotiate terms that they like both. That's the basically idea. I wouldn't say that land on HODL HODL is purely decentralized because we still have a website and we still have some central points of, of our infrastructure and system, but we are moving in that direction. I would say we are semi-decentralized And we're not trying, honestly, we're not trying to compete with other altcoin-based solutions. 
we're trying to compete here with custodial solution that had actually majority of solution in Bitcoin. And if you are familiar with core principles of Bitcoin, the one core principle that everyone should know is not your keys, not your coins. So obviously, what we're doing, we're trying to bring very complicated non-custodial solution to mass market so that people actually can educate themselves, learn and understand what is the way. So basically, by the words of Mandalorian, this is the way, you know. And so what you're really getting at is you have a key. And in a lot of these other services that you're, you're outsourcing that trust to them in order to manage. And although it takes two out of three keys in order to complete the transaction for borrowing and lending, you've said that since you've launched, you've never had to adjudicate or step in to be that third key. The other party has always supplied it. I'm kind of curious, how many loans is that that you've never had to step in as a, as a third party in order to adjudicate the escrow? Yeah, we recently published our results for first three and a half months, actually for first four months. So it's more than the loans that were issued through our peer-to-peer platform. And again, not by us issued, but it's peer-to-peer. This is the important thing. It's more than 3 million of USD value already issued for first four months. What would you say the normal loan value is? 10,000. The average value is 10,000. And actually with Bitcoin price rises, the appetite's also rising. So people are, for example, we have now outstanding demand for, we have a borrower pool who, is, who are willing to borrow 1 million effectively. So they're available. And the APR is actually around 16%. So it's 1 million per year, and it's fixed 16%, with the average LTV around 50-60%. So that's the numbers we're talking now. Anyone listening to this is immediately saying, who in the world is paying these interest rates? Because the interest rate that you're saying isn't just for that one particular million dollar loan. You can, you can go out, you can create a contract for, for $10,000, and you're fetching these kind of interest rates of 16%, correct? That's basically the average. So there are short-term loans with obviously with higher uh, APR. So there are some short-term loans, like let's say one month. And APR, I saw them. These are loans that actually in progress. They have APR around 40% or even 50%. People are um, taking this money in order to maybe leverage their position in Bitcoin, maybe leverage their position in, in other crypto. We're not asking what they do with this. And we actually don't want to know. Yeah, we don't care. We don't care because it's like basically code is a rule. Of course, we have some rules to reach the consensus. Obviously, as, a, as, a, as I mentioned previously, we're not naive that there will be no disputes. As the volume rises, as the people appetites rises, as there are more and more people stepping in, of course, there will be disputes. Not all of them will be unnecessary people are, there's one bad person or good person. There must be a misunderstanding at some point might be. So it's okay. We're used to that. We have a system in place. We're trying to solve that. That's how it goes. So people who are new to all this and they're hearing you and I both say, we don't care what they do with it. Their minds are exploding because that's just not how their their understanding of, of loans work. Typically, there's a loan officer. They're looking at all, all of your uh, background, whether you're able to repay it. 
But what we're talking about is an over-collateralized loan. So what I want to do really simply is I just want to role play a scenario here where I'm going to be the depositor, you're going to be the uh, borrower, and let's just walk through an exchange on this platform. So I would log into HODL HODL, and let's say yeah. I, I want to lend out $10,000 USDC on the platform. Yeah. So I would put up a contract that says, I'm willing to, to lend the $10,000 USD at 16% interest rate for the next six months. And those would be the terms that I would include on the uh, loan that I'm hoping that somebody else will be willing to become a counterparty on. So I put that up on your platform. And then let's say you're the borrower, you come along, and what do you do at that point? Well, obviously, I found your offer. It's kind of good for me. So I'm happy to pay you 16%. APR. I confirm that I'm interested. Then automatically the contract is created. Upon the creation of contract, you have this key, which is uh, called payment password. So basically you, you encrypt your key with the payment password. So payment password effectively is, is an encrypted key to this escrow. So we both enter this key and then System understands that we're serious about that, and it creates a unique multi-signature escrow account or address on the public Bitcoin blockchain. And you can actually go and double-check this address on any block explorer there is. You can double-check that it's, it's fresh. There's zero account in that, zero funds in that. Then effectively, I as a borrower send to this escrow account needed amount of money. Let's say the LTV ratio is 50%. So I'm send, sending and I'm saying roughly 20,000 worth of Bitcoin. With the current price, let's say 0.4 Bitcoin I'm sending to the escrow. Which is double the, the amount that yeah, I'm lending yeah, you. Yeah. So I'm giving you yeah. 10,000 and you're basically depositing 20,000 in escrow. Yeah, because let's say your LTV ratio is 50%, loan-to-value ratio is 50%. You can also set up 70% loan-to-value ratio. So I will effectively need to deposit less than 20%. So it's, it's, it's up to you and up to me to decide which LTV ratio is fine. So I send Bitcoin to that escrow. As soon as it gets three confirmations, we inform everyone. Basically, the contract is moving to another stage and we inform everyone, hey, guys, Bitcoins are an escrow. It's safe to proceed with the loan payment. And you send 10,000, let's say USDC, as you mentioned, to my stablecoin address. I receive that. I confirm that I received that actually. There's always double checking, you know, when you send, you attach the transaction link and you confirm that you've made a payment. I, on the other hand, need to confirm that I received these funds. And only after we do that, the contract is in progress stage and we are good to go. And in six months, I repay you of the amount that you, you've lended to me with the interest. I can also repay it earlier. I can also do partial repayments or in case if I don't have stable coins anymore, let's say I spend them all and I don't have them, but Bitcoin price you know, increased significantly, I can cover your loan with Bitcoins from escrow. This is how it works. So now my concern as the person who made the deposit is, let's say the price of the escrow is going down significantly, and it's coming down to the value of my initial deposit of 10000 How quickly am I able to get the escrow to be released to me before the, the value actually of the escrow starts going below my deposit? How, talk us yeah. through the, the speed at which something like that takes yeah. place. Yeah. 
we sent four different types of notifications to borrower because he's the, the man in charge in that case who, who needs to understand what he will do. Effectively, to avoid the liquidation, what he can do, he needs to balance his LTV ratio because as soon as LTV ratio will go to 90%, he will be effectively liquidated. What he can do in order to prevent this liquidation? Real fast, when you say they'll be liquidated, when the value gets to 90, which is LTV gets to 90, which is approximately 10% higher than my deposit. So if my deposit... It doesn't work like that. It's, it's a bit different, different, Matt. You can actually check it out in, in our frequent asked questions. There's a pretty simple guide. What does the uh, 90% LTV equate to as far as over collateralization? We have the... Four types of alerts, margin call alerts. One is 75% of LTV. Another one is 80% of LTV. Another one, 85% of LTV. And 90% is a final force liquidation or. Now, you have basically time to react until the ratio reaches 90% of LTV. After the LTV ratio reaches 90%, the contract will be automatically transferred into force liquidation stage and the collateral will be automatically liquidated. When you say an LTV of 90, the loan is still over collateralized, but it's getting closer to my deposit of 10,000. It might be at 11 or 12,000, whatever the 90% LTV means. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And we have all the calculators. So basically, you see in your contract, you as a lender also can, can be prepared for that. You can see that as well, how the loan to value ratio changes. And we actually are uh, going to add some interesting features that we're also going to inform with notification the lender prior to the, to the actual liquidation so he can be prepared for that. If you want to, if you're hedging your risk, you obviously want to do perform some actions. Yeah, because you need to sign the release transaction from this multi-sig escrow. As I mentioned during the, the previous conversation with you, we're working on, on adding more automation to this, to this uh, feature so the liquidation can be done fully automatically. We're going to improve this process in, let's say, two, three months. So yeah, because like that's basically how it works. The interesting part is actually that you can avoid being liquidated. And we have, I think on the market, we have, we're one of the few companies that actually platforms, let's say, that actually have different types of options, how you avoid, how you can avoid that liquidation. So first one, which is obvious, adding more collateral to the escrow. So you can just effectively send more Bitcoin to the escrow and your LTV ratio will go lower. Now, the second part is you can do an early repayment, which is another obvious thing. So you can, if you see that you're, you will be soon liquidated and you want to avoid that, you want to have your precious Bitcoin back in your pocket or in your wallet, you can do the early repayment. Or you can also balance in that sense that you can make partial repayment. Let's say you don't have, I don't have 10,000 that I owe you. I have three, four thousand. So I can send three, four thousand, and the system will automatically recalculate LTV ratio and I will be good to go. So we, we actually experienced that already when there was uh, like some loans with higher LTV ratio, 70%. And some of clients was actually pretty close to liquidation rates. So they just, some of them just added more to collateral, and some of them that just did an early repayment or a partial repayment. 
I can tell you as a person who first started just looking into this, experimenting, whatever you want to call it, the LTV ratio was a little bit confusing because when I hear LTV of 50%, I'm thinking that the escrow is 50% of my deposit, but that's not the case. It's double the amount in escrow than my deposit. Good thing for lenders is that all loans that are issued through the HODL HODL lending platform are over collateralized. And also the good thing that in case of liquidation, you will not only receive the body of the loan, so basically the amount that you've transferred, but also you will receive the full interest that borrower actually owns you. You got to love that. (laughs) Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a data-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, homeowners earn on average 20% or more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa makes vacation home ownership easy. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home by doing less, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com. That's vacasa.com to get started on your dream of owning a vacation home. Have you ever wondered if there's an AI tool like ChatGBT specifically built for the stock market? A tool that not only aids you in your research and analysis process, but also allows for dynamic discussions? Today, I want to share such a tool with you called Meka. Meka is the AI-powered stock research assistant now enhanced with real-time stock data. Meka does a lot of the heavy lifting of sifting through financial statements and company data and delivers it to you nearly instantaneously, and the best part is that it's 100% free. Try it out today and ask Meka questions like, what is the financial health of Microsoft? How much cash does Copart hold on its balance sheet? What is the return on invested capital of Adobe or millions of other prompts? Check it out today for free at Meka.com. That's M-E-Y-K-A.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example with their dynamic design that rises to the occasion. It's got powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capabilities coupled with signature Range Rover refinement. The third-generation Range Rover Sport is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet, redefining sporting luxury. It's got advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification offering next-level comfort and refinement. The purposeful cockpit-light driving position sets the tone for a focused interior that promotes exhilarating driver engagement. Award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. You can enjoy a dynamic drive and total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. All right, back to the show. And again, the good thing about the lender, that lender doesn't pay any fees. We consider that lenders are liquidity providers, and the only person who pays for basically origination fee or any type of fee are borrowers. 
So uh, because they need money. So you need money, you will pay. And I'm providing money, so I don't need to pay. I'm just giving you my liquidity. I love the logic on that. That's awesome. And then, like you said, it encourages more people to provide more liquidity to your system. Let's go back to the why the rates are so high. I know, I know from, a, from a lender standpoint, it's just like, just doesn't matter because everything's over collateralized and they're going to, the escrow will be liquidated if it's going down to include the interest. But what are some of the things that you're hearing that people are doing with the borrowing? Are most people going levered into Bitcoin? Is, would you say that that's the typical trade or do you just really have no idea? We actually saw the interesting case is that three days ago, there were published a borrower, he published his offer, which was stated in description that I want to borrow money for my wedding. So the guy was obviously borrowing money for his wedding. But most of the cases, of course, as uh, with uh, most of DeFi platforms, people are just leveraging their position into Bitcoin or other altcoins. But there are also cases where people just, they don't want to sell Bitcoin. And they just uh, want to have some funds to, I don't know, to convert the stable coins to fiat and then move to their accounts. Or there are actually already multiple options with payment cards where you can top up the payment cards with stable coin and you can just use it as any other payment cards. And I think that's one of the use cases that many People who are a bit skeptical about stable coins, they're undervaluing this, uh, this use case because there will be more and more stable coin based payment cards. And there will be, at some point, there will be no difference between topping up your payment card with stable coin or with fiat. It actually will be way more easier with doing this with stable coin because it's faster, it's peer to peer. You can prove that you actually send this. And uh, I think there's already, I saw that there's already, some major companies, whether it was Visa or MasterCard, they already signed with Paxos, which is a stablecoin that ISO supported in our platform. They already signed the agreement that they are going to, to go that way. You're bringing up a really fascinating point that I've had a lot of discussions online with people saying, and you hear this narrative, and I find it a really funny narrative. People are saying, oh, as soon as central banks come out and issue their, their tokenized dollar or their tokenized euro, it's going to put an end to uh, Bitcoin. And I'm just smiling and laughing, thinking the exact opposite. Because what they're really doing with these coming into the central bank digital currency realm is they're providing a token that has immediate clearance. The traditional fiat has many hours, if not days to clear. And that's the reason why a platform like yours is using tokens of stablecoin tokens is because you know when somebody sends it that you have a public address that confirms that it has cleared. So you've had private market come in and the private market has provided the solution to a situation that the market desires, which is immediate clearance. And these central bank digital currencies just haven't, they're just late, right? They just haven't gotten here yet. So I'm of the opinion that these central bank digital currencies are only going to speed up the rate at which Bitcoin is becoming a dominant store of value because they're providing these on-ramps. Because if I have a central bank digital currency that's in dollars, I'm going to prefer that every day of the week over a USDC token, right? And so the things that would start flowing onto your platform would be these central bank digital currencies instead of these tokens being issued by private entities. And I'm assuming you agree with that. We agree with that because will effectively mean that there's a fiat on top of crypto technology. So 
as you mentioned, there will be a clear ledger that will allow you to understand that actually the payment was made or repayment was made. And again, I'm not advocating for central bank digital currency. Don't get me wrong here. And because uh, I still believe that building some new fancy stuff on top of broken system is just doesn't work. They're going to continue to be debased. And I think that's the thing yeah. that, that most people aren't thinking is it doesn't matter whether they tokenize it or they keep the system that they've got right now. It's going to continue to be debased in order to make up for all the fiscal issues that, are, that exist all over the planet. And that's the reason that the debasement's happening. But what's going to be nice is you're going to have a token that's going to immediately clear, which is what you need for a platform like this, yeah. especially when you get yeah. into the over collateralization process, right? Like if I'm making a deposit of $10,000, and my escrow is dropping down below the, the value that I deposited, I want yeah. to be able to get that back immediately. I don't want to have to wait for it to clear. I want immediate settlement. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about what you guys have in the works for streamlining activities. Because one of the things when I'm going through all these comments that people left me on Twitter, one of the things that they commented on was, how can it feel more like a centralized system and not so peer-to-peer so that it's ease of use and things like that are a little bit easier. Talk us through some of your initiatives. We already announced that it's a public roadmap that we're going, first of all, we're going to build API for a landing platform. It's actually already in the process. So hopefully by in two months from now, we will be able to release the API, which will effectively allow you to automate many things on your own end. So institutional players, they will be able to switch to our, like basically to connect with our API and automate a lot of things that are currently there enabled to automate. Also, the retail guys who are like more sophisticated in building terminals or building several types of software, they will be able to do that. Also, I think that the API for HODL HODL lending will uh, effectively make us one of the few Bitcoin-based lending platforms that actually have an API. So you will be able to build your solutions on top of HODL HODL lending markets. And this will effectively means that we will become lending platform or the core of the lending, Bitcoin lending, peer-to-peer Bitcoin lending, which we're aiming for. We're also making some more like streamlining automation process, more effort towards the education. We're going to publish actually in a few days from now, very simple through guide through how to publish your own offer, how to make a contract, how to make an offer, how to again, how to do whatever. So it's going to be simple. We're going to simplify our UX UI. We're going to add more automated feature like matchmaking, for example, when you publish your offer. And we know that there's on the other side of the list, there is an offer which matches your criteria. So then it's you don't need to browse the offer list. It, it will just effectively send you the request. Hey, here's another offer. It matches your offer like, let's say, 95%. Just click accept and you, you're good to go. So we're working on that. And I know that people are asking, we need to simplify, we need to simplify, we need to simplify. It's good, but to be honest, you guys need to check your custodial lenders and you need, to, you need to, to go through onboarding process with custodial lenders and then you will be back and you will understand how simple we already built the system because there's a difference. Of course, we cannot or it will be hard for us to automate like some things because it's still peer-to-peer market. It requires your own education and some manual work, but it also increases your security level, your privacy level. Well, basically, 
as we see, it also secures your profit level because from the standpoint of the lender, if you compare us with peer to peer lending, with custodial lending, at some point we actually have double the rate that you have on a custodial platform. The risk is really on it on the technical side, whether you actually have the technical competence to perform all the actions you need to perform. I would say it's even simpler. We are trying to decrease that risk as well, because I saw that you have some comments and, and one of the major comments is actually what we should do in case if HODL HODL is down, how do we retrieve the escrow? So we already published the, the guide for that. So there's like four steps. I can just guide you through this. So let me just first explain what you're getting into here. So the big risk that a lot of people were commenting on is what happens if your website goes down? If the servers, let's yeah. say there's an attack against your servers or whatever, yeah. what in the world does a person do, either counterparty do in order to adjudicate yeah. the loan? So there are steps. This isn't something that actually prevents yeah. Yeah. the exchange from happening. So walk us through those four things. So first of all, you need to understand one crucial thing. We only have one key. So even if we will go down, you still effectively, both lender and borrower, they have their own keys. And they have two keys in some, which effectively can release funds. That's the first thing you need to understand. The second thing you need to understand, comparing to custodial platforms, you can impact that process. If custodial platform goes down, like for example, Mount Gox, you cannot do anything. So basically, you just need to wait for them to resolve this issue. And obviously, you need to wait now there are people who are waiting years and years that the issue will be resolved. And also the, the thing that actually you were on the podcast with Peter McCormick, an American HODL, and he mentioned that if the custodial lending platform will go down and they, even if they are insured, most probably you will receive back part of your funds, but you will receive it in fiat. You won't receive your Bitcoins yeah, because that's how it works. So in this case, you will be able to retrieve Bitcoin. Now, the steps that you actually need to do if, for example, there's a doomsday and, and we're down and there's still funds in escrow. So first one, you need to open a browser console. You do it by pressing F12 and watch the data being sent to the server when you create your payment password. The payment password, again, is your key. Now, after you enter your payment password, you will see that amongst other things, and this is pretty important, encrypted version. HODL HODL doesn't know your payment password. And if you will lose that, and I'm trying to be like to, to warn people, if you lose a payment password, don't think that we're acting as a custodial platform who can just, hey, here's your payment password, do that. We don't know that. That's also the part of being non-custodial and being your own bank. Nobody told you that being your own bank is easy. It's pretty hard, to be honest. An encrypted version of the private key is being sent to the server. You actually can copy that encrypted key and using the same algorithm which HODLHODL uses, decrypt the key using your payment password. You need to remember that your counterparty actually needs to do the same. So what we suggest if you're over paranoid and you want to be safe and sure, when you engage in contract, just exchange contact details like emails. So in case the platform goes down, obviously the lender wants to receive his repayment. And obviously, the borrower wants to receive his Bitcoin back from the collateral. Now, the fourth step, you will then need to write some code that would actually construct a release transaction and use that key to sign it and then broadcast the signed transaction. And as I mentioned, however, your counterparty needs to reproduce the same steps. And in fact, the transaction cannot be broadcast 
until it's fully signed. So step four assumes that you already have a partial assigned transaction. The fourth step is actually the most complicated because you need to construct some kind of code and you actually need to have a technical thing. Now, we thought about it as well, and we received some requests. So in upcoming months, we're about to release, let's call it emergency doomsday software, which is effectively allows you to retrieve coins from escrow, even if we're down at some point. So the only thing you will need to do then, you basically go through our security guy, you write down your encrypted password, and you just contact your counterparty, and there will be a software that will help you to release these coins from the escrow. When I hear these kind of conversations, I always try to put myself in the audience and, and say, what are they thinking the next question is from what they're hearing? And all I can really say is, based on this conversation we're just having, we are so early. We are just so early in this process of where this is all going. And it's, and it's just fascinating for me to be sitting here watching this entirely new system being constructed right next to the old legacy system. And you can't expect any of it to be just foolproof as you're literally constructing and engineering and building this stuff in real time. And, and here we are talking about what's being made. And it's just fascinating to me to, to see how something as catastrophic as a site going down, even though a simple solution doesn't exist today, in a couple months, there will be things in place yeah. that are allowing two parties that don't even know each other. I don't even know yeah. what you're doing with the funds that I'm, that I'm lending, but yet I'm still being protected through over collateralization and the funds sitting on the blockchain that neither one of us are touching this escrow fully, right? But yet all these checks and balances are in place and we can still allow the release of funds even with the website going down. Now, like you said, it's a little complicated today, but in a year from now, it's not going to be. It's just amazing to hear some of this stuff and just to kind of see the direction that it's all going. I had a comment actually yesterday also. I checked the post that you mentioned that you are talking with us today. And uh, there was one guy who told that, hey, I was recently on a conversation in Clubhouse with one of representatives of custodial lending platform. And he effectively said that non-custodial multi-signature tech is basically worthless because you still don't have access to funds. You, need, you still need to have a second key. Here's the actually pretty simple answer. Non-custodial doesn't mean that you have a full access over your funds, especially if you're engaging with other counterparty, because the counterparty actually have their own interests. Non-custodial effectively means that you are removing full control of the funds from the third party or from another person over your funds. So this is what it means. It doesn't mean that trading lending, borrowing non-custodial, you will have a full control over your funds. It means that you will have some leverage to avoid being fully controlled by other parties. That's what it means. And also in lending, the important thing, it means no rehabilitation risks. So basically, your Bitcoin, their stays in collateral, they're not giving away to some guys who are trading with them, who are lending them at a the higher rate, who are doing whatever they are doing. And I'm not saying it's bad. Obviously, all these processes on, on the serious custodial platforms are being protected and uh, maybe they're even insured, whatever. But it's like what we are trying to build here is actually tools that will allow you effectively become your own bank. As I love to say, nobody told you that being your own bank is easy. 
I'm a former private banker for 10 years. I know how difficult and how complicated the banking system is sometimes, especially within. But you want to have some freedom. You want to have financial freedom. You want to have a privacy. You need to learn. These are trade-offs. So let's talk a little bit about Lightning Network and interest that might be kind of a competitor. I don't know if you would view it as, as a competition, but when I'm thinking about, hey, if I have Bitcoin, how can I collect interest on it? I really kind of arrive at two solutions. I can do what you're offering here with HODL HODL. And then the other one is going to be on my full node, I open up a channel, I basically plug those Bitcoins into the channel, and then the network yeah. can use and route those via IOUs between other yeah. nodes, and I'll be able to collect interest off of that. What kind of interest rate do you actually kind of foresee in the Lightning Network by opening a channel relative to the interest rates that you might get on a platform like yours, HODL HODL? So the main difference is that we don't offer Bitcoin lending. So you can only borrow against using Bitcoins, basically use, use it as a collateral. Now, the Lightning Pool technology, which you're talking about, is actually the first technology since Lightning was uh, introduced that I'm actually pretty excited about. And we are speaking with Lightning team. We actually in some work groups around Lightning. So I'm pretty excited about that. I'm not sure what will be the rates there and what are the rates there, because I'm leaning more forward than that non-custodial Bitcoin lending will earn you less than custodial Bitcoin lending. Why? Because there's less security risks. So there's a trade-off. You want to hold your keys. You want your Bitcoin to be non-custodial. If you want to stay partially in charge of what is happening with your Bitcoin, most probably you will receive less interest than you will do it with depositing your Bitcoin and giving away to the third party. I would say that even with 2 3 4% annual rates on your Bitcoin, but still being able to keep it non-custodially, this will be a perfect offer because you will still earn some interest. You will keep your Bitcoin and you will actually support the Lightning Network as well. What we are looking at is uh, that we're going to introduce during this year multiple solutions how you can lend your Bitcoin using our, our tech. Some of these solutions will be actually pretty stupid in terms of technical development, let's say like that. But they're a bit more wiser in terms of cash flow management. So some of this solution will be actually effectively using other protocol levels like Liquid and uh, Lightning. So what we want to build, we're also looking to the Lightning Pool technology. We were pretty excited about that. I think uh, this is the way to go. But I'm also hoping that we will be able to release other types of solutions. So the person who is less sophisticated may go to HODL HODL and choose what he wants to do with his Bitcoin, whether he wants it landed in one way, in another, or in a third way. Some of these solutions are still pretty long way to go because uh, we, are, we are waiting for other protocol level improvements in order to be able to build them. Some of these solutions will be already presented in a few weeks from now. But I'm excited about Lightning. I saw many comments. People are like saying, hey, the rates will be crazy on a Bitcoin landing, non-custodial. No, guys, I think the rates will be low, 2 3 4%. But the main advantage is that you will keep your keys. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. 
Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in over 20 strategic locations. They have extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. As someone who's constantly on the road and traveling, Briggs & Riley has been a game changer that ensures my travel experience is phenomenal. I'm a satisfied customer of Briggs & Riley myself, and I can certainly tell you that their luggage performs. It's extremely durable, it has amazing features that make packing and getting around easier, and they have the best lifetime guarantee in the industry. If your bag is ever broken or damaged, they'll repair it free of charge, no questions asked, even if your airline damages the bag. They also just released their Simpatico collection of hard-sided luggage. It has this new one-touch feature, which allows you to expand your luggage, pack it, then compress it to its original size so a carry-on can still fit in the overhead compartment, plus many other cool features. If you want luggage that was awarded the best carry-on by Forbes, then now's the time to get it. Get your new and improved luggage at Briggs-Riley.com. That's Briggs-Riley.com. Looking to part ways with complicated, expensive, and uncertain shipping? Then give your business the edge it needs with USPS Ground Advantage shipping from the United States Postal Service. Keep everything simple with clear, upfront pricing and no unexpected surcharges. Keep things affordable with some of the lowest prices out there. And keep it all reliable with on-time ground shipments. It's time to turn shipping to your advantage. Learn how at usps.com slash advantage. USPS Ground Advantage. Simple, affordable, reliable. All right, back to the show. Yeah, I think that makes sense. The logic that you're going about thinking, because it, it really it's just a risk profile, especially as this gets more mature. Like maybe in yeah. the interim, you might see some of the, the numbers be different, but just uh, intuitively, that, that makes a lot of sense what you're saying. So here's the question I got for you. If we could just warp ourselves into the future, 5, 10, 15 years into the future, describe the environment that you think that all of this is going to look like. Definitely my, maybe it's naive, I don't know, vision, but I truly believe that in lending, if we're talking about lending, let's, let's talk first about lending and then we can go on more like broader use cases. So in lending, I think that there is a significant chance that peer-to-peer lending will eat a huge chunk of custodial lending that we have now. So non-custodial lending can potentially disrupt the custodial lending. It won't be necessarily bigger than custodial lending because you still have like institutional big players. They have a huge liquidity pools. But again, as I mentioned, there are some institutional big players that are already approaching us And they're also considering to offloading their liquidity because they see the rates are higher and they're happy to provide some liquidity to retail markets. I don't think that in terms of trading 
for example, I usually compare trading and lending. So in terms of trading, I think custodial exchanges still will be bigger than non-custodial. Why? Because they have a huge liquidity pools and there's a frequency of trading there. You can faster complete your orders on custodial trading. And that's what's important for day-to-day traders, for example. I do believe that decentralized trading or non-custodial trading will rise and there will be some technologies that will actually effectively make it happen better. Like, for example, there's a technology which is called RGB, which is built on top of Lightning, which is actually layer three already, which will effectively allow you to construct different types of decentralized applications. I think that there will be more and more peer-to-peer, more and more decentralized solutions, but they will just coexist with, uh, with the custodial solution and centralized solution because there's always a, two types of people. Those people who are happy to trust the third party and they're just used to that. What I think that amount of that type of people will be lower and lower in future because people will eventually educate and people will eventually sell some shifting from being custodial to non-custodial. I think the the user interface of a lot of these platforms are going to feel like they're custodial, even though they're not. That's actually one of the things that I'm looking forward. We're constantly improving the user interface, and we're actually considering to building, at some point, we might start building some high-frequency decentralized exchange as well. So that, that could be something. We're looking into that. We've been approached by several protocol developers. They know us. They want to work out with us. They know that we can actually sell complicated non-custodial solutions to the market, and then they, they trust us with that. But that's the future. And again, I do believe that in 10, 15 years, Bitcoin will grow bigger. It will definitely we will have it as a, let's say, digital gold standard. I would say, though, that there will be more and more sidechain solutions with different use cases, like, example, Liquid. It's actually a sidechain, which is perfect for traders because you can effectively send a huge amount of money between exchanges. It will cost you like one, five cent, maybe like that, and it will be delivered almost instantly, so pretty fast. Now, Lightning, on the other hand, is actually evolving my personal opinion, as a payment solution for retail investors. So you can just, the funny joke about coffee, buying Bitcoin with a coffee, you know, you will be able to do that with Lightning. And as soon as there will be many different types of payment solution, payment cards that are supported by Lightning, we will see that this thing will evolve. But everything will eventually evolve around Bitcoin. And I'm just hoping we will be able to absorb the best practices from uh, other like blockchains, we will be able to build languages and solutions that will compete with those that exist at the moment. And eventually, we will beat that because I believe that the Bitcoin protocol have the best people. I'm not trying to like say bad things about other protocols. There's also smart people out there. But I think the good thing about Bitcoin is that we have the biggest liquidity pool at the moment. So basically in terms of capitalization. And Bitcoin also attracts a lot of very, very smart people. I saw the trend that there are amazing young developers that are actually shifting the industry. There's this guy, Ben Kaufman, who is uh, doing the Spectre wallet. He's 19 years old. The guy reinvented multi-signature wallets as it is. So he's like 19 years old guy, if I'm not mistaken. So 
the industry will evolve. The Bitcoin will be here. Just take it or leave it. You can close your eyes and then think that it will disappear, but it will not. So effectively, I think I listened to your podcast with Zach from, from BlockFi, and there's a right, there's a right direction of how he thinks that custodial solution will be more towards institutional interest and non-custodial solution will be more towards retail interest. And we don't know which interest will be effectively bigger. We believe that at the moment, institutions are bigger. Yes, but the recent beef with the Wall Street bad guys, GameStop, saw that actually if you have a huge movement, you can destroy effectively any institutional interest that is out there. So when you guys started the platform, and you had previously mentioned that Bitcoin is pretty much used as the collateral between the two parties. A lot of people are asking, when am I going to be able to take my Bitcoin and deposit it and collect interest on my Bitcoin? When is some type of capability like that going to be enabled? We're talking about Bitcoin lending. As I mentioned, across this year, we're going to release some features that will allow you to do that. It's really hard to perform. We're looking into different protocols, not only on-chain Bitcoin, but also, as I mentioned, Lightning and Liquid. What makes it difficult? Because to me, it's from the outside, I'm just looking at it like, well, what's the difference between me depositing one Bitcoin versus one USDC? What makes it complicated? The difference is pretty easy. You know, when you deposit, why you can collect interest on your Bitcoin on custodial platforms? Because you deposit with them and they just lend this Bitcoin to institutions or to other players. And these players are using complicated trading strategies or lending strategies. They're earning actually more on top of your Bitcoin. And then they're just paying you part because they're, they're using your asset in their own strategies, different types of strategies. Now, with non-custodial, your Bitcoin stays in multi-signature escrow. And effectively, we cannot do that anything. We cannot send this Bitcoin to trading OTC desks that can perform. So it's a bit more complicated. So with Lightning, for example, with Lightning Pool, you can already provide the liquidity. You can be non-custodial and you can earn some interest. But we are actually working on different types of solution with different types of networks. And we're trying to figure out the ways that you can actually still hold keys to collateral. Let's, let's name it like that. And still earn interest on top of Bitcoin. So we're actually going to present few of the simpler ways and solutions in upcoming weeks, let's say in March. And we're going to build more complicated solutions like in six to nine months from now. And uh, hopefully we will, you will be able to collect interest on, on top of Bitcoin as well. So when you think of scaling your platform, what is priority one or two on the list for scaling? The, the current priority number one, and we actually received a, a, an anonymous letter from one guy who wrote us like, I think two weeks ago, there was a letter from one of, I don't know whether he's user or he's just like, check it out. First of all, he mentioned that this is the simplest, most complicated platform I saw because like he smiled and he's, I didn't saw that, that kind of simplicity, which is wrapped around the complicated things for a long time. So that was his comment. And then another thing he mentioned that I think that you guys built something that could be potentially Amazon in 90s. So this could disrupt massively the lending markets in the future. 
but he mentioned the one thing that we are actually aware of and we're working on that. It's not a technical side, it's actual liquidity. As I mentioned to you, we have outstanding amount of borrowers that are willing to borrow money at the bigger rates than their custodial. So basically 16% average APR. And uh, the liquidity is actually like when we see a huge liquidity provider coming to the platform, like let's say huge liquidity provider, half million, his half million will be eaten in three, four days with easily taken by multiple parties and allocated through multiple multi-signature accounts. We're working actually at the moment on partnering with some uh, liquidity pools and liquidity providers who can actually afloat liquidity in stable coins to, to, to the retail market. That's one of our top priorities, apart of we're building API, apart of we are building new interesting features and, and building the, the Bitcoin lending stuff. Do you run into issues with people coming to the platform from a legal standpoint? So like, hey, I've got $10 million I can give you, but I run into these legal restrictions that I am a company that isn't allowed to be dealing in lending and borrowing type services because that's financial type services. Is that any type of concern or issue that you're running into? With peer-to-peer markets, and as we are non-custodial, we leave all the legal stuff upon on counterparties. So basically, for example, on trading part, we have the market decide how it performs. We just provide a technical tools for people to make a safe trade. There are actually traders on our trading platform that do KYC. They're, these are like OTC desks that have licenses and they just use it as an escrow agent. So basically, even not as an escrow agent, I would say as a technical tool provider. So they, they believe that our escrow technology is pretty safe. They're using us, but they're doing all the legal stuff, taxation and all that stuff by themselves. Same with peer-to-peer, same with lending. It's up to you to understand what are implications, what are regulation, what are barriers for you in your own jurisdictions, whether you can issue a loan or you cannot, whether you're a corporate or you are not. And how does this work? So if there will be lenders who will effectively say, we want to issue some loans, but we need to do KYC on uh, people to whom we are issuing, they will go on a platform, they will post their offers in offer description, they will write, we will need to do, I don't know, verification of you, or we will need to do due diligence of you. And people will decide whether they want to go with institutions or with uh, legal entities or they want to wait a bit longer and find another partner who is a private individual who can send uh, and give a loan and then make all the necessary tax things and all that stuff. So is there any uh, thoughts on how a person could incorporate insurance into their uh, contract? This is a question from Mark Moss. Yeah. So regarding the insurance, as I mentioned previously, with custodial platform, you might be insured but you will receive only part of your deposited amount and you will most probably receive your part in fiat. So let's say, as with Mongox, the price of Bitcoin significantly increased during past years. People will still receive way more or less than, than the Mongox owned them. So in our case, the main insurance will be our, as I mentioned, emergency software, which is effectively allows you to return Bitcoin from the escrow. Because again, Bitcoin will stay there and you will be able, cooperating with your counterparty, 
to return this Bitcoin from the escrow. But again, I know that there are some lenders that are actually hedging their risks. They have some complicated lending strategies. And uh, I think the main insurance that all loans are over collateralized, they're in multi-sig and you can actually, by cooperation with your, uh, let's say, counterparty, you can actually retrieve them at some point. So this is the main insurance is actually not financial insurance, it's technical insurance. You know, that's what we are striving for, to provide a technical tool so you can do all things trustlessly and you can be way more secure and sure that everything will go fine. We've kind of had some uh, companies that have been approaching us in terms of insurance. I don't know whether we are going to observe that and we are going to figure out that, but I think the main insurance is a technical part of our platform. That's, that's the main thing. Max, I can't thank you enough for uh, coming on to have this conversation. When I think about the most exciting stuff that's happening in this space right now, it is literally you're sitting in the seat of the guy that's making all this this kind of stuff happen. This this is the precipice of where my personal opinion a lot of this stuff is going. So this was such a pleasure to have you on the show and have this conversation and I applaud your efforts because this is this is fascinating stuff that you're doing. Give people a handoff to your platform and anything else that you want to highlight. I want to highlight a few things like First of all, educate yourself. Do your own research. Always do your own research. Whether it's the risks of being custodial, using custodial or non-custodial services, whether it's the risks of issuing loans in several stable coins. Like we have this question, what will happen if Teaser will blow up and whether I should use better USDC? We don't provide that kind of advice, guys. It's peer-to-peer markets. It was meant to be like that. It's Bitcoin, you know, it's peer-to-peer electronic cash. It's what's written in white paper. Some people are wrongly quoting this in their own interest, but it's how it's written there. So do your own research, educate yourself. The systems, peer-to-peer systems, non-custodial, of course, they might be a bit more complicated than a custodial ones, but there are always a trade-offs. Like you have a bigger privacy. You have no risks of your Bitcoin being lent or being given to someone else. And you actually have at the moment higher interest rates and higher APR as a lender. And it's always backed by Bitcoin held in multi-signature escrow. You need to educate yourself. Please feel free to provide to us any feedback that you have. Our DMs are open. We're trying to do the best. We know that you want to have this feature right now, but we are a rather small team and we're working really hard on that. We're growing, but we're, we're working really hard. So we, we actually applaud you for your support. Personally, you, Preston, as well, because you've been very supportive. Many people that support us. The main thing that I wanted to point out, it peer-to-peer market. Nobody basically blocks you for for publishing your own offer on your own terms. So if you don't find the offer that suits you, just create the one that you want to accept or you want to lend or you want to borrow. And with that, we can can together grow the liquidity and grow that market because we actually need your support. As for the main lend.hodlhodl.com, available globally, feel free to check it out. Feel free to give your feedback, feel free to post your own offers. It's free, doesn't take you much time. Finally, start to becoming your own bank. Max, thank you so much.
Hey, so thanks for everybody listening into the show. If you enjoyed the conversation, be sure to subscribe to the show on whatever podcast app you're using. We really appreciate that. And if you have time, leave us a review. So thanks for joining us this week and we'll catch you next Wednesday. Thank you for listening to TIP. To access our show notes, courses, or forums, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the Investors Podcast Network. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.